the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we prepare to hear the scriptures, let us pray. God of abundant life, by the gift of your Spirit, tune our hearts and minds to hear your living word afresh. May our lives answer your eternal word with resurrection hope. Amen. I take refuge in you, Lord. Please never let me be put to shame. Rescue me by your righteousness. Listen closely to me. Deliver me quickly. Be a rock that protects me. Be a strong fortress that saves me. You are definitely my rock and my fortress. Guide me and lead me for the sake of your good name. Get me out of this net that's been set before me because you are my protective fortress. I entrust my spirit into your hands. You, Lord, God of faithfulness, you have saved me. I hate those who embrace what is completely worthless. I myself trust the Lord. I rejoice and celebrate in your faithful love because you saw my suffering. You were intimately acquainted with my deep distress. You didn't hand me over to the enemy, but set my feet in wide open spaces. Have mercy on me, Lord, because I am depressed. My vision fails because of my grief, as do my spirit and my body. My life is consumed with sadness. My years are consumed with groaning. Strength fails me because of my suffering. My bones dry up. I am a joke to all my enemies, still worse to my neighbors. I scare my friends, and whoever sees me in the street runs away. I am forgotten like I'm dead, completely out of mind. I am like a piece of pottery destroyed. Yes, I've heard all the gossiping terror all around. So many gang up together against me, they plan to take my life. But me, I trust you, Lord. I affirm you are my God. My future is in your hands. Don't hand me over to my enemies, to all who are out to get me. Shine your face on your servant. Save me by your faithful love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, our second reading comes to us from the first letter that bears Peter's name. Listen, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's power so that God may raise you up in the last day. Throw all your anxiety onto God, the one who cares about you. Be clear-headed. Keep alert. 
Your adversary, the devil, is on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist the devil, standing firm in the faith. Do so in the knowledge that your sisters and brothers are enduring the same suffering throughout the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, the one who called you into eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will restore, empower, strengthen, and establish you. To God be power forever and always. Amen. I have written and sent these few lines to you by Silvanus. I consider him to be a faithful brother. In these lines I have urged and affirmed that this is the genuine grace of God. Stand firm in it. The fellow elect church in Babylon greets you, as does my son Mark. Greet each other with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On a warm March day in 2001, two major league baseball teams squared off for a friendly spring training game. Friendly, that is, until it turned deadly. Randy Johnson, pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks, was on the mound. Johnson could throw a pitch that reached 100 miles per hour and would help his team later that year win the World Series. But that day, his focus was on flinging a fastball past home plate. He cocked his left hand and let that ball fly. But the ball never made it. The crowd expected to see Calvin Murray of the San Francisco Giants swing. Instead, they witnessed an explosion of feathers. As one, the stands gasped. <gasps> Johnson's 100-mile-per-hour ball had collided with a bird, a morning dove in mid-flight. The unfortunate creature died on impact, an anomaly of statistics that defined Johnson's career more than any other performance on the field. I wasn't following baseball in 2001, so I only learned this story recently when a friend shared a pair of images. A dove with the words, my plans, and a picture of Randy Johnson, 2020, above his head. This year has exploded my friend's plans. COVID-19 careened into life, and his expectations went up in a cloud of feathers. I understand that feeling. I bet you do, too. For all of the ways that the pandemic has cramped our lives uniquely, it is a shared experience. We each know the discomfort of wearing a mask and the 
chapped skin of washing our hands repeatedly, we each have felt panic grip us momentarily when the virus brushes past us or our loved ones. We know the sinking feeling in the pit of our stomach when we see the number of confirmed cases in our county rise. Traveling with Peter for these six weeks since Easter Sunday, it's reminded me that common suffering was a defining event for early Christians. Here again, as his letter draws to a close, Peter invokes the reality of persecution. Resist the devil, standing firm in the faith, do so in the knowledge that your sisters and brothers are enduring the same suffering all throughout the world. All throughout the world, in Buffalo and Berlin, in Miami and Milan, in Washington State and Wuhan, our brothers are watching helplessly as COVID overtakes their family members whose recoveries come with unknown complications. All throughout the world, our sisters are grieving hundreds of thousands dead. To a greater or lesser degree, the global family has shared the same pain. And yet I find myself pushing back against Peter. It's not the same, I want to say. Pain is personal. Death keeps breaking on our shoreline, wave after terrible wave crashing over us, each surge threatening to drown us. How could I compare the waves smashing into Lucy in Valois, grieving her brother Louis, not even able to say goodbye to him in the hospital? How could I compare the waves lurching over Jean in Lodi, weeping over Danny, the third child she has been forced to bury? How could I compare the water rushing around Jackson and Tanner and Finnegan, robbed of both their father and their mother? The waves keep coming and it is not helpful to point out that they are all water. We know they are all water, but it's our lungs that threaten to give way, our footing that slips in the sand. I imagine grumbling to Peter, sure, the devil prowls like a lion, but have you felt those jaws puncture your flesh? It's simple enough to acknowledge that suffering is universal. It's another thing altogether to reckon with pain at a personal level. Peter might concede that point, but he doesn't want us to live siloed away from each other. We are not alone. We stand on the same shoreline 
and the God of all grace stands with us. At every turn in his letter, Peter points us back to the living God who birthed us into a living hope through the resurrection of our living Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not only a God of past tense verbs, a God who made and loved and redeemed creation. Our God is acting now, making, loving, redeeming. Throw all your anxiety onto God, Peter writes, the one who cares about you. What a statement. God cares about you. Your life is of intense interest to the creator of the cosmos, not to the exclusion of everything else, but squarely in the midst of the whole shebang. Marjorie Suhaki's mother was skeptical of that idea. Maybe you are too. She would roll her eyes at her neighbor, Louise, who fervently prayed about everything, including her daily menu. Foolishness, her mother would say with scorn. Why would the God of the universe care about what Louise had for lunch? A God who rules the galaxies like a king has more important things to do than to entertain the daily dealings of tiny people on a tiny planet orbiting a tiny sun at the outer edge of the Milky Way. Such a heavenly king would certainly delegate those matters to cosmic underlings, if they received any attention at all. But the God to whom Peter ascribes all power and glory is more than the image of king or queen can contain. The living God does not withhold divine presence from the universe, but fills every nook and cranny of creation with the pervasiveness of water. A king could never clear his schedule to care about Louise's lunch, but God can and does. This is the God in whom we live and move and have our being, Paul said, quoting the Greek poets. This is the God through whom all things came into being, John proclaimed, the same God who pitched a meeting tent among us in human flesh and bone. This is the God who surprised Mary Magdalene at Jesus' tomb and gave her a new story to tell the world. Such is the living God, bigger than we can imagine, yet closer to us than our own breath, always, always taking the first step toward us in love. I invite you to close your eyes for a minute and trace the shape of such love in your mind's eye.
see yourself where you are right now. Now go smaller, like Ms. Frizzle on the magic school bus, and see your skin cells, the fragile color that they hold, and beneath them, fat, and beneath that, muscle, and beneath that, bone, and beneath that, the marrow that generates the blood that sweeps through your arteries, your organs, your veins. The living God is present here, caring for each cellular community, stoking the fire in each microscopic mitochondrion. You could go smaller, of course, to buzzing atoms and electrons and quarks. But instead of zooming in, I invite you, zoom out. See yourself where you are right now. See your dog, your cat, See the others who make this house a home with you. Now float above that to your neighborhood. See the houses nestled next to yours or a mile down the road. Keep soaring upward, watching the scene unfold like a map from your middle school social studies classroom. There's New York the East Coast, North America, the turning planet. Rocket into space as far as you'd like, far enough to take in our neighbor planets moving in their solemn dance around the star whose light we feel on our skin, whose energy we drink in our morning coffee. And further yet, See the graceful arms of our galaxy home, one possible birthplace among countless others. The living God is present there as well, numbering the stars as the psalmist sang, giving each one a name. God's care, God's intense and loving interest holds all creation, each comet and caterpillar. The idea captivated a German bishop in the 1400s who imagined that God is an infinite circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Grace encircles you and me. No one is left outside. Peter doesn't want us to get lost in reverie, though. The living God not only cares, but also acts. The God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will raise us on the last day. The God of all grace not only called you, but will restore you, empower you, strengthen you, establish you. 
God's love isn't passive. If it were, the psalmist would not cry out to the Holy One, solid rock and protective fortress, calling to the Lord who is intimately acquainted with suffering and won't let suffering have the last word. As Luke tells it, Jesus sang this psalm, Psalm 31, with his last breaths. Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. These are not words of resignation. These are courageous words. As wave after wave of pain crashed over him, Jesus trusted that his father stood with him and stood with the rebels crucified on either side of him. Pervasive and particular, this is the paradox of pain, but it's also the way God cares for us. As only God, life of life, creator and redeemer can do. Back in January, back when the world teetered on the edge of outbreak, I glimpsed the way the living God moved in the world. In a small auditorium, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a petite African-American woman, older than my mother, but not by much, coached us curious souls at the Calvin Symposium on Worship through the steps of liturgical dance. Yes, we were an awkward bunch, but Dr. Kathleen Turner was on fire with love for God and... Peter reminds us, love covers a multitude of sins. When she broke us into groups, she asked us to choreograph a dance to this passage we read from Peter's letter. I wish I had taken video to show you. Uh, imagine prowling lions, outstretched arms resisting the devil, jazz hands giving glory to God. But most of all, I wish I could show you how the last group portrayed this verse. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, the one who called you into eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will restore, empower, strengthen, and establish you. Each person started on the floor, but stood with the encouragement of one dancer who extended a hand to help them rise, one by one. Simple, yet breathtaking, beautiful in the way that forms a lump in your throat. There on full display was the active love of the God of all grace flowing through muscle and bone, pervading yet particular. It put to shame our half-hearted jazz hands. Friends, we are not alone. God not only stands with us, 
the living one weaves our lives together. I cannot compare one person's grief to another, and nor should I. God doesn't. Holy love, though, attends to each one and connects each to all others. Neither you nor I are God, but God has called us and restores us. God has made each of us a node in the web of interrelatedness. God cares for us. Our trust, like that of the psalmist, like that of Jesus, taps into the courage we need to care for each other. So friends, stand firm in the faith, in the wholehearted trust that transforms. Stand firm to resist evil's persistent pounding against our limbs. Arms linked with your neighbors, stand firm in the grace of the living one. And for such grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to God, the one who chose us, who suffered and was raised for us, who is making us holy. Amen.